Speaking of mothers, I heard a story a while back about a little boy named Johnny. And little Johnny was, uh, he, he was giving his mother just an awful time. I'm sure some of you can imagine. Little Johnny was, was always in trouble. He was always disobedient. He was always causing problems. He, typical little boy, right? Typical little boy. And one day his mother had just had enough. She had had enough and she sent Johnny to his room and she said, I cannot put up with you anymore. Go to your room and stay there. I can't put up with you. And while you're in your room, you pray. You pray to God and you pray that God helps you behave and I know God will answer your prayer. She left him up there for quite a while. He got pretty quiet. After a bit, she went up to check on him. And there Johnny was in his room and she said, are you ready to come out? And he said, yeah. She said, did you pray? He said, yeah. She said, did you pray that God would help you behave? And he said, no. Well, why not? And he said, well, you said that God answers prayers, so I prayed that He would help you put up with me. Johnny found a loophole. I think we all would like to have a, a loophole in prayer, wouldn't we? We'd love for God to answer our prayers, for God to fix our problems, for God to change our circumstances, but to do so without changing us, without changing our behavior, without changing our attitudes, and without changing our hearts. But I wonder if that's the point of prayer. Is that what God is looking for from us when we come to Him in prayer? Or is prayer really about transformation? Is prayer not just about changing our problems? Is prayer about changing us? We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14-21 through 21 today. It's that prayer that Paul has been trying to pray for some time as he's written this letter. It's on page 977 in those Bibles in front of you. We've got the notes on the Version Bible app today. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. He has poured his heart into this prayer. As he says in this letter, he has, he has poured his heart into this prayer. It sits at the center. The, the, the prayer is pretty much at the very center of the letter to the Ephesians. And it feels kind of like the the centerpiece for the whole thing. It, it kind of feels like the hub for the, for the letter. for the, It's kind of a pivot point. The first half of the letter was all about who they are. He told them in chapter 1 who they are in Christ. He told them in chapter 2 who they are as a church. And then he prays and the prayer pivots. And suddenly the rest of the letter is about how they get along with each other. How they put up with each other. How, how they're to relate to one another. The unity that they need in the church. And then also the unity that they need in their homes. Chapter 6 comes along and he tells them to be strong in the Lord. To stand firm because there is a world of darkness out there. And all of it, all of it turns on this prayer. This prayer that calls us to strength, to power, and to faith. And ultimately it calls us to see that, that prayers like this do not get answered without transforming who we are let's begin in in verse 14 paul says for this reason i bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth 
and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As we've looked at Ephesians, as we continue to look at Ephesians, I think this prayer is vital for us to understand this letter. This prayer is vital for us to understand the letter and for us to understand Paul's heart, the, the, the love that he had for this church and what he desired to see in them. And if we're truly going to see God's message for us in his letter to the Ephesians, for our church, it's vital for us to understand this prayer, to hear it. What, what do we see in, in Paul's prayer that, that we also need in our own prayers? But you know, more than that, it's, it's this kind of focus. This kind of focus that we see in this prayer needs to be a part of who we are together and what we want for each other. Now, that's, that can't just be about us repeating the words. That can't just be about us memorizing Paul's prayer and, and learning how to pray it, although that would be a wonderful thing. It needs to be under, about understanding the heart that's behind this prayer, understanding the depth of need that Paul felt for that church and finding the, that kind of commitment for each other. And we begin, we begin to see that when we understand the humility behind this prayer. Now remember, Paul's been trying to pray this prayer for a while. If we stay there in chapter 3 and we go back up to verse 1, Paul says, for this reason, and then he gets distracted for the next few verses. For the next few verses, he, he starts talking about why he is a prisoner, uh, why he's in prison, and yet this is still part of God's plan, and how, great, how much he hopes, to, uh, how great his hope is for them that they would not lose heart because of his suffering. So for 13 verses, he talks about where he is at that moment, and then he goes back in verse 14, and he says, for this reason, well, hold on a minute, for what reason? Well, if we went back to chapter 3, verse 1, and we see for this reason repeated, we have to go back even further and find out what is the reason, what is the reason that Paul is praying. We go back to chapter 2, and in chapter 2, we see that God is doing something new, something that no one could have predicted was going to happen. No one saw it coming. Jews and Gentiles were going to come together. That, According to chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, he says, But now, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. You understand, this, this was big. No one saw this coming. For, for generations, all there had been between Jews and Gentiles was hostility. For generations, the Jews had proclaimed themselves to be God's chosen people. But now, suddenly, now in Christ, there's something new is happening. He says in verse 22, in Him, that is in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That was big news. And it would call for a big prayer. Because now, there's no room for us to talk about who's in and who's out. 
There's no room for us to talk about who is God's chosen and, and who is unchosen. There's no room to talk about who's right and who's wrong, who's more saved. The reality of salvation by grace through faith, it calls for humility. And so Paul writes, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I'm not going to do that today. Because if I bowed my knees before the Father here, I would not be able to get back up. I'm very thankful that Jimmy Buffett wrote a song. Uh, he says, I'm down on the knees of my heart. And I'm thinking, great, I can do that at least. I can get on the knees of my heart, but these knees probably not so much. We talk about posture in prayer every now and then, right? And we, we teach our kids to, to, bow, to bow down when they say their prayers at night. We, we teach people to bow, and we, we know that that's something we should at least kneel occasionally in prayer. We talk a lot about posture. You realize a, a Jewish man did not kneel in prayer? Jewish men did not kneel in prayer. Do you know what the proper posture for a Jewish man to pray was? He would stand. He would stand and raise his hands. And the reason why he stood, you know why? Because he was God's ideal. He was everything that God wanted. He was Jewish. He was chosen. He was a man. He was not a woman. He, was not, he had not been deceived. He was God's ideal. He was perfection in the flesh. And Paul says, for this reason, because God is doing something new, because God has called Jews and Gentiles together to be one, I am down on my knees praying. This required humility. It required Paul to lay aside every advantage he had ever had, everything that ever said that he was special, and to lay it all aside and to bow his knees in prayer. He was willing to sacrifice his pride for the sake of, of the unity of the church. And as we continue on in Ephesians, he's going to express that in some very real ways in the coming chapters. In chapter 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, he reminds us again that he's a, he's a prisoner, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love. Literally putting up with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That's for here. That's for here in, in the church. And, and that has to start with humility. It has to start with our attitudes. We have to begin by realizing that what we have here in these in these relationships, what we have in these relationships is worth sacrificing our pride, our wants, our preferences. It is worth bowing our knees in humility as well as bowing our knees in service to one another. And that's not just the humility behind this prayer. That is the heart behind this prayer. Paul's great desire in his prayer is to see the church united, to to see the church as one body, one church. But it's, it's bigger than just simply praying that everybody would, would get along. It's not merely about whether or not we can stand each other or whether or not we even like each other. It's about what Jesus died for. And it's about who God is to us. It's about the unity that should be at the heart of the church. Sometimes I wonder if we'll ever get that. Sometimes I wonder if we'll ever understand that. I'm not even sure it's possible to understand that kind of unity 
in our culture today, in our world today. Because we live in a world where everybody's got their own preferences. We live in a world where, where you can have it your way. You get your own choices. You have your own preferences. You can do that. You don't want to go to this restaurant after church? We can go to that restaurant after church. I have known families who have dropped the kids off at one restaurant. Some of you are laughing. I bet you've done it before. Drop the kids off at one restaurant. Everybody else goes to another restaurant after church. You don't like this food? You can have that food. You don't like this kind of music? Just change the... It used to be radio, so now you just push a different button. But Change the station. We'll listen to something else. You don't like this TV show? Watch a different TV show. You go to the movies. There are 16 screens. You can make whatever choice you want. And we take that attitude and we bring it right into church. You don't like this music? Well, they got different music at another church. You don't like this preacher? Too bad. Uh, <laughs> you don't like this preacher? Well, there's another one that'll say the things that you want down the, down the road. You, you don't like these programs? They got other programs. You don't like these people? Well, they got other people in other churches. And so we, we take our lousy attitudes and we march down the road to, a, to another church. And what do we find there? We find things we don't like. How far does that attitude take us? How long can we keep doing that? Do we realize that that is not the attitude that Jesus Christ died for us to have? That that is, that is not, that kind of attitude cannot take us into eternity? Again, Paul says, for this reason, for this reason, for unity in the church, for this reason, I bow my knees, I sacrifice who I am before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Did you hear that? Every family derives its name from God. You go back to the Old Testament, what do you see? You see people, you see nations divided by families all through the Old Testament. You've got the children of Abraham over here. Way back here, you've got the children of Cain. And, and over here, you've got the children of Moab. And over here, you've got the children of Ammon. And, and, and all through the Old Testament, it's families divided over and over and over again. But Paul says here, now, every family on earth can point to God as their Father because Jesus Christ died for every family on earth. There's no room for us to divide in there. That, there's no room for us to exclude others just because they're not like us. But there's more to it than that. And I don't want you to miss this part. You notice there in verse 15, it's not just every family on earth, but it's also every family in heaven. Every family in heaven. And, and I think we need to hear that. Because some of us, and, and some of you, you've got family in heaven. You've got people that you love who are, who are in heaven and people that you can't stop thinking about. And, and you need to hear what Paul is saying here. What he's saying is your connection with them has not stopped. They are still family in heaven. They are still family. Your connection with them has not stopped because Jesus is alive. Therefore, we are one family. And one of the best ways you can show your love for them is by loving these. By loving this family. By maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because you see, when we hold to each other, when we, when we hold to each other, we're remembering that we're still holding to them. And even more, when we realize that we're holding to our Heavenly Father, and, and you see that, holding to our Heavenly Father, that is the hope behind this prayer. 
There's a lot to this prayer. I hope you just kind of hunker down in it because we're going to spend the next month just looking at this prayer. This is that important. We're going to spend all of May just looking at this prayer. Uh, But for today, I want you to see what Paul's goal is here. What his hope is behind this prayer. He writes in verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That is a tall order, to know the love that surpasses knowledge. But for what purpose? What's his hope for us? He says in verse second half of verse nine, 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is a big prayer. That is a, that is a mighty prayer. That is a prayer that's bigger than than every prayer that we pray for healing, although those prayers are very important. That is, that is bigger than every prayer that we pray for a grieving family or someone who's struggling with cancer. It is a prayer that the reality of God's presence would so overwhelm you, so fill you, that His love and His peace would overflow out of you into the lives of the people around you. It's a prayer that calls us to an important realization that really defines who we are as individual believers and and who we are to be as a church. We bring the presence of God to each other. We are so full of the presence of God, we bring the presence of God to each other. The way we love each other, the way we seek unity, the way we seek peace with each other, that brings God's presence. And I can tell you, this, this is a prayer that God is eager to answer. He is eager to answer this prayer. The only question is, is it a prayer that we're eager to pray? Are we willing to pray this prayer? Are we willing to be the answer to this prayer? Because the answer comes when we humble ourselves. Paul says, I get down on the knee, my knees before the Father. And again, that's not just about the posture of your body. It's about the posture of your heart. The same thing he says when he writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than you. You see, it's not possible to pray this prayer and then seek that we always get our way. It's not possible for us to, to, to pray this prayer and then always want to have things the way I like them. And by the same token, it's not always possible, it's not possible to always get your way and still seek the presence of God. If we're going to take prayer seriously, we need to take this prayer seriously. And we need to ask ourselves, how am I going to be the answer to this prayer for someone this week? How how am I going to show someone the presence of God? How am I going to be the answer to this prayer this week? The answer to this prayer comes when we seek unity, when we recognize that Jesus died for something that's bigger than just your sins or my sins. He died for all those things that would separate us and keep us from showing the love of God to each other. He died so we could be one and that by being one, we could comprehend His love because we show His love to each other. 
I think about that. And I wonder if little Johnny wasn't onto something. Maybe we do need to pray that others learn how to put up with us. We might be a little difficult to put up with if we really start showing everybody the love of God and, and sharing that with everyone around us. Maybe, maybe we need to see that this prayer gets answered when we are committed to showing His love to each other. When we're willing to tear down the, the attitudes that divide us, the walls that divide us. And when we commit, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I want you to be able to see God in me. I want you to know His love through the way that I love you. Maybe that sounds like a tall order. And it is. It's a big prayer. But maybe that's why Paul ends the prayer the way he does. The last two verses, you've, you've heard them over the last few weeks, and we're going to continue to use them as we close. The last two verses, Paul glorifies God for what he knows he is capable of doing. What he knows that he will do. He knows that, that even though we can be petty, even though we can be divided, sometimes we can even be unloving, that there is power that is at work within us that is greater than our hearts. And so as we commit to, to praying this prayer, and as we commit to answering this prayer together, let's commit to seeing His presence and His power in our lives and in the life of the church. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, in Your amazing grace, You have You've called us together. You've called us one church. You've called us to, to model the love of Christ for each other and for people around us. Father, we recognize that. We see that again and again in Scripture, but we also confess there have been times when our pride has divided us and our own wants have kept us from serving others. We've not always been the people You've called us to be. And so today, we humble ourselves and we seek to be the church You want us to be. We want to be so filled with Your presence that those around us know exactly what the love of Jesus is like. And, and we admit that is a big prayer. Our own wants are going to keep getting in the way. And when that happens, would you please just remind us again and again that the One we pray to is greater than our failures. We pray that Your love can be seen in us. Now let's close with the words from verses 20 and 21. Say these with me. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.